Two weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 11 and 12. I'm having a start in Acts chapter 8, but we're actually going to end in Acts chapter 19. Now, we're not going to read um, eight chapters, okay? But we are going to comb through four different chapters between chapters 8 and 19 that I think are extremely important for us, and I think they can be easily glossed over and easily missed. So start with me in Acts chapter 8. And the title for our time together is A Tale of Two Kingdoms, A Look at the Occult. What is the occult? We'll talk about that tonight. And again, the title is A Tale of Two Kingdoms, A Look at the Occult. Very interesting passages that the writer Luke records for us between Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 19, having to do with... Satan, the demonic realm, the occult, spiritual activity. Listen, the Bible really is a book about two different kingdoms. Really, that's what the Bible is is all about. It's a story about two different kingdoms. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. All right, all uh, popular movies, really, not all, I shouldn't use that word, but many, if not most popular movies or books have some kind of aspect of good versus evil, light versus darkness, right? Star Wars, the whole Mar- Marvel series, Lord of the Rings, all right, we could go on and on. Why is this? Because it's reflective of our reality. It's reflective of our reality. The fact is, the Bible describes us living in the material, physical world, but that's only one side of our reality. The other side of reality, the Bible describes there being a supernatural or beyond the nature, beyond the natural, there's a supernatural realm where God resides and his angels, they reside in the kingdom of light, the Bible says. And there's also the kingdom of darkness where those who have rebelled against God, Satan and his demons reside, that's the kingdom of darkness. But they live within the spiritual realm, the Bible says, and we as well are also a part of these two kingdoms. Because the Bible says that if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you have transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus, then you still reside and are a part of the kingdom of darkness. This is what the Bible teaches. The good news is when you transfer your trust to Jesus, you transfer over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I want us to see how the scripture speaks of this reality. I'm going to comb through seven Bible verses, starting with Colossians 1.13. The Bible says, Paul writes in Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us, talking about believers who've placed their faith in, in Christ, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Ephesians 4.18, Paul says, their minds are full of darkness, talking about unbelievers, Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. 
Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, For once you were full of darkness. He's talking to the church at Ephesus who now have placed their faith in Christ. He says, Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. I love that. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You're royal priests. You're a holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. 1 John 2.9, If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Again, it's talking about the opposition of light versus dark, these two different kingdoms. And then finally, John 1, 4 through 5. The word, that is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light. Everybody say light. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the Bible talks about the narrative of there are two different kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. For those who have yet to place their faith in Christ, you are a part of the kingdom of darkness. If that's you, get saved. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says then you will be transferred over to the kingdom of light. I love how the Bible speaks of this. Does everybody get it? Now, I want to take us through four quick passages here in the book of Acts where the kingdom of light interacts with the kingdom of darkness. And I want to encourage us, equip us, and even caution us about certain practices or things to avoid as we walk with Jesus as believers. All right, so everybody I hope is there. Acts chapter 8. Start with me in verse 9. We're going to thumb through, again, four different passages. So we're going to do a little bit of reading, but I want us to follow along because I want us to see some of this stuff. There's a pattern here in the book of Acts. Chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon, okay, this is the sorcerer here, Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And he was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, okay, those were two of Jesus' close disciples, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in in the name of the Lord Jesus." Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, verse 18 says, When Simon, the sorcerer, when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray 
to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So pause there with me. There's this man named Simon. He's a sorcerer. He's practicing these different um, acts of sorcery. The people are amazed and actually attribute the sorcery to God. That's what Satan loves to do. He loves to muddy the water so that when we see miracles or different signs that are actually of Satan, we attribute them to God because we don't have discernment. So these people who are unbelievers in Jesus Christ see Simon the sorcerer doing all this stuff. They attribute it to God. This is awesome. This is a work of God. Well, then the people, the Bible says, get saved because Philip is preaching the gospel and they turn from this sorcerer and even Simon, the Bible says, believes and gets baptized. Well, when Peter and John come, uh, they lay their hands on people. The Holy Spirit falls on believers. The power of the Holy Spirit now fills believers. Now this is the kingdom of light and the the power of God working. Simon sees this. He says, this power is even greater than the power I had. I want this power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes to Peter and he says, I will buy this power from you. Now Peter rebukes him. He says, this power can't be bought. He says, pray that that these wicked things don't happen to you because you think the power of the Holy Spirit can be purchased with money? And so this is a very interesting story here. Simon the sorcerer doing these wicked acts to deceive the people with powers of spiritual darkness. Then the Bible says he actually gets saved, but he still is confused about how to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter says it can't be bought. You trust in Jesus Christ and believe, and the Bible says God gives you his spirit through your faith. So that's one story. Now jump to Acts chapter 13. A few pages to the right, Acts chapter 13 Verse 6. Acts 13, verse 6. This is, um, now it says, Now when they, this is Paul and Barnabas, Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated. So this guy has two different names, Elymas, Bargesus. Verse 8, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, pause there with me again. There's this guy named Elymas. The Bible says he's a sorcerer. There's this proconsul. He is an authority of the Roman Empire. He calls Paul and Barnabas. He says, I want to hear the gospel. Well, Elymas the sorcerer tries to prohibit Paul and Barnabas for preaching the gospel. Paul turns to him and he rebukes him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he actually says, you're going to be blind. And Elymas, the Bible says, goes blind and now can't find his way around. And the proconsul sees the power that God uses through Paul 
And the proconsul actually believes in the gospel because of this. That's story number two. Jump with me again to Acts chapter 16. Again, a few pages to the right. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened as we went to pray, the we is Paul and his friend Silas, again on another missionary journey. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now that's interesting. This girl who's possessed by a demon is actually encouraging people to listen to Paul because he's preaching the way of salvation? Listen, demons have right theology. The Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe and they shudder. Okay, the demons know who God is. They have great theology. They just don't submit to that theology. They're in rebellion. It's why people can have a head knowledge of God but not follow him with their heart. They're not saved. We can have a head knowledge of who God is. We can intellectually believe that God exists, and yet we don't submit to God with our lives. That's the demons. They know God is real. They have great biblical theology. They know their Bibles. They don't submit to that theology. So this girl is is possessed by a demon. She's a fortune teller. And she says in verse 17, as she follows Paul around, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Well, I love this. It says in verse 18, but Paul, greatly annoyed. See, even godly people can be annoyed. It's okay. It's okay to be annoyed every once in a while, just for the right reasons, okay? But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, being the demon, came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Pause there with me. That's the end of story number three. Paul is a missionary traveler preaching the gospel. A demon-possessed girl is actually employed by these people. And these people make money off of her because she's a fortune teller. She, through demonic influence, is able to tell the future and make money for her employers. Well, she follows Paul around when Paul gets greatly annoyed that she's demon-possessed and basically just accompanying them in their ministry, he gets annoyed, casts the demon out by the power of Jesus Christ. The demon leaves the girl and now the girl's employers are upset because she was making them money. So they pull Paul and Silas to the side and have them thrown in jail. If you want to know how that story ends, just read the uh, rest of that chapter. I'm not going to do that tonight. That's story number three. Story number four, go to Acts chapter 19. Last story we'll look at. Acts chapter 19. Start in verse 11. Acts 19, verse 11, final story. Verse 11 says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists 
took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so as well. Verse 15, And the evil spirits answered and said, I find this so funny, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who the heck are you? Okay, heck, this is probably from like the Message Bible. But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Final story here. The Bible says that God was working through Paul, casting out demons, and it says that there's a group of Jewish exorcists, but they don't have personal relationship with Jesus. They just hear through the grapevine that Paul is using the name of Jesus to cast out demons. So they say, hey, let's try this. But they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. So these Jewish exorcists go around casting out demons in the name of Jesus, And the Bible says that in one instant, uh, there's these uh, seven Jewish men. It says they're they're the seven seven sons of this Jewish priest. And the Jewish priest's name was Sceva. So there's these seven sons, this group of seven guys, Jewish exorcists. They go around and they come upon this guy who's demon-possessed. And they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out of him. Now the demon inside this guy says, well, Jesus I know. And I'm familiar with Paul, but who in the world are you? And the Bible says that this demon-possessed man pounces on these seven guys, strips them of their clothes, beats them up, and these seven guys run naked. Because this demon-possessed guy, filled with this supernatural demonic power, beats up these guys. And the Bible says that they run away because, again, they don't have personal relationship with Jesus. They're just using the name of Jesus because they heard that's what Paul does, and it works. But unless you have personal relationship with Jesus, there is no power because you don't have relationship with Jesus. God's spirit doesn't dwell within you. You're just using the name of Jesus frivolously to accomplish what you think, you know, is, is going to benefit you in some way. And, and it doesn't work. But the Bible says that after the people in Ephesus hear this story, that fear fell on them and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing, telling their deeds. Many who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of all the books. And the Bible says it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. They bring their books. They burn all their magic books. And it valued 50,000 pieces of silver. That's about a million to five million dollars in our day's value. It's a lot, a lot of evil magic spell books. Millions of dollars worth of books. So this is our fourth and final story. Now, why focus on this topic tonight? Satan, demons, 
occult practices. Because there needs to be a healthy biblical balance and approach to the kingdom of darkness. Satan the demonic. C.S. Lewis, he said, there are two equal and opposite errors in which we can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy and excessive interest in them. And this is so true, and this can even describe us as believers. One extreme is that there are people who think that Satan is under every rock. That if, if, if you're having a bad day, something happens in your day, it's throwing you off, you just, everywhere you go, just things are not working your way, you can easily attribute it to just spiritual warfare. This is Satan, this is demons, you don't get the parking spot, you got fired from your job, this is spiritual warfare, this is Satan. All right, your football team didn't win the game, spiritual warfare. And Satan just is everywhere under every rock and every bad day you just attribute this is spiritual warfare, this is Satan. And that is one extreme. Now, the other extreme is that you are more dismissive dismissive of Satan and you dismiss Satan's hand in your life altogether. Now, listen, the, the one extreme where there's this unhealthy interest in Satan in spiritual warfare, Satan is everywhere, this, that, that, that can be an unhealthy extreme, listen, because we just live in a, in a fallen world. And we have bad days. Why? Because the world is imperfect and it's riddled with sin because man rebelled in the garden. And so we live in a bad, imperfect world. And the reality is that not every sickness, not every job loss, not every bad day is because of Satan. It's because we just live in a fallen, difficult, bad world. And bad things happen to people. And we don't always know why, but we live in a fallen world. And so we can't attribute every single bad day or sickness or everything to Satan's hand in our lives. Now, the other extreme is when we're dismissive of Satan. We disbelieve Satan is involved. We think that different books or media are harmless because we don't really believe in that stuff or we know that Jesus is greater within us than he that is in the world. And so we're just dismissive of different practices or different Uh, belief systems regarding Satan because Satan is not concerned with me, right? And so we just dismiss him and his involvement and his influence in our lives. And I think that that train of thought at times can even be more detrimental to our walks with Christ. The Barna Research Group put out this study and it said that four out of 10 Christians, that's 40%, four zero, 40% of Christians, Christians, strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but is simply a symbol of evil. Almost half of professing Christians, according to this Barna study, said that Satan, he's not a real being, he's just a symbol of evil. The Bible is very clear in describing Satan as a real being. Peter would say in 1 Peter that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's not a symbol of evil. This is a real being the Bible talks about. So why do we find on Paul's missionary journeys so much demonic activity? I just read four stories 
through Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 19. Everywhere Paul or Peter or Philip went, they also were met with different satanic and demonic activity. Why is that? Listen, because when God is at work in your life, expect Satan to not be too far behind. It's true. When God is at work, expect Satan to not be too far behind. I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to scare us, but rather just to prepare us. Listen, when God is at work in your life, if you recently got saved, you recently gave your life to the Lord, if you've been growing in your faith, you've been hungry for the word, you've been hungry for spiritual disciplines, you've been hungry to learn more about Jesus Christ, you've been in your Bible, you've been in the word, you've been sharing with other people about Jesus Christ at your school, at your work, When God is at work in your life, Satan wants to undo what God is doing in your life. The Christian cannot be demon-possessed because the Bible says when you come into faith with Jesus, you give your life to Jesus Christ, that God's very spirit dwells within you and the Holy Spirit is not going to share space. So Satan and his demons cannot demon-possess you, but Satan and his demons will do their best to demon-oppress you. They will attempt to discourage you in your walk with Christ, distract you so you're not effective for the kingdom. And when Satan, when Satan knows that God is at work in your life, you have a hunger, hunger for the word, you're in your Bible, you're growing in your faith, Satan will try to undo what God is up to. And that's what was happening here in Acts chapter 8 through 19. Christianity is spreading rapidly, and the Roman world was known for their paganism and their occult practices. And so when Paul is shining a light into the darkness, when Paul, a representative from the kingdom of light, is going into areas of the kingdom of darkness, you better believe that Satan will try to oppose the work that God is doing through Paul. And guys, the same goes for you. We are not untouchable to the demonic realm. I don't agree with the one extreme where Satan's under every rock because Satan cannot be everywhere at once. He is not God's equal opposite. Satan is a lesser created being by God. But Satan rebelled against God, so now he rules this kingdom of darkness And now he wants to have influence in your life, even though he knows he can't possess you because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to have influence in your life so that you're distracted and so that you fall prey to the different schemes and strategies of the demonic realm. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you are are fair game to Satan. Fair game. Demon possession, demon influence, demon oppression. And we can't be unaware of this. So while there's one unhealthy extreme, Satan's everywhere, there's also the other extreme where we dismiss Satan, we dismiss the demonic. He doesn't have influence in our lives. He's not aware of what we're up to. That's another unhealthy extreme. And so we see that God's at work mightily through Jesus' followers. And when... God is at work, Satan will attempt to undo what God is up to. What God loves, Satan hates. God loves marriage, so Satan hates it. God loves purity, so Satan hates it. God loves holiness. God loves maturity. Satan wants to stunt your growth. What God makes, Satan wants you to worship. God is the creator, the maker of all creation. The Bible says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, that people worship the creation. 
That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to worship creation. And if he can't get you to worship creation, he will get you to worship self. God made you, so he wants you to worship self. Satan doesn't need you to worship him. Satan is very content with you worshiping yourself. What God creates, Satan imitates. We see this in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 7. Moses, he turned his staff by the power of God into a snake. Moses, by the power of God, turned water into blood. And every single time, well, I shouldn't say every single time, because there were a few things the magicians couldn't imitate, but there were a few times where God, through Moses, would create this miracle and Satan would attempt to imitate it. I'll give you one example. Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. It said, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So God is using Moses to free the Israelites in their Egyptian slavery. Pharaoh has the Hebrews captive. Verse 10, Exodus chapter 7, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord said. So when God would create something, Satan attempted to imitate it. Now he couldn't imitate every single miracle that Moses performed by the power of God. So Satan's power is limited. Satan's power is limited. But he will attempt to use his dark power to persuade us to keep unbelievers in darkness, and to deceive believers as well. And this is what was happening in Paul's day, to deceive people so that they wouldn't repent. Here are some of the practices we see mentioned in the passages we read a moment ago. Sorcery, divination, fortune-telling, demon possession, spell books, magic. Now, not like... Um, sleight of hand card tricks. I'm talking about dark magic. These are all practices of the occult and they should be avoided. Now, what is the occult? Well, the dictionary defines occult as hidden, secret, and mysterious, particularly when pertaining to the supernatural. So examples of occult practices, astrology, witchcraft, and this is a limited list, Wicca, the black arts, fortune-telling, magic, both black and white magic. White magic being magic that seems like it's harmless. Ouija boards, tarot cards, spiritism, psychic practices and mediums, Satanism, astral projection. Astral projection is a teaching of the New Age where through meditation, through deep meditation, you're able to Uh, Your spirit is able to leave your physical body. Uh, New Age teaching and pantheism. New Age teaching is being one with the universe that you can actually have supreme godlike consciousness that you are, are, that everything is divine, that you even are divine. This was the first lie in scripture, Genesis chapter uh, 3 where Satan told Adam and Eve, you can be like God. That's pantheism. All is God, even you are divine. 
Eastern meditation, yoga philosophy. Now, listen, I know some people will be like, Austin, don't be too legalistic here. Can I not stretch and do yoga? Listen, I'm not your Holy Spirit. You take that up with the Lord. You can stretch, sure. Do that in private. I don't want to see it. Yoga, philosophy. Yoga means union. The word yoga, it means union. And yoga philosophy teaches the unification of yourself with the universe. The Bible says don't be one with the universe. The Bible says be one with Christ. To be joined with Christ. Eastern meditation is all about the emptying of the mind in an effort to gain higher levels of consciousness. Guys, this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches biblical meditation. See, people think, well, the Bible talks about meditation. Yeah, Eastern meditation is the emptying of the mind. Biblical meditation is the filling of the mind with Scripture. The Bible says in, one, in Psalm 119, David says, I will meditate on your words. I will meditate on your law. I will meditate on your word, O Lord. So it's very different. Um, same word, different definitions. Biblical meditation is getting before Scripture, filling your mind with Scripture, filling your mind with God's faithfulness, with God's promises. Eastern meditation is the emptying of the mind to gain higher levels of consciousness. This, this is not biblical. It's not biblical. Stay away from it. We have to be aware of these things. There was this um, testimony I came across. Her name was Beth. She was a former yoga practitioner into different new age philosophy and ideologies and witchcraft. And I loved her testimony and I wrote a couple of her quotes down. She said, practices such as yoga, meditation, channeling energy are all based on false spiritual teachings or principles that incorporate the gods and goddesses or the channeling of energy. All gods and goddesses are false gods, aka demons. There's only one God and he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. Any other God is like Satan, looking to become like God in order to gain power and control over humanity. God does not hate anyone who has done or is doing yoga. He loves every single person, period. He understands the hearts and minds of people. But he wants us to have freedom from our bondage so we can have an even deeper revelation of his spirit. It is only through this freedom that we can truly experience and know God's heart and his love for us. The devil wants to steal that from us by convincing us his dark arts are actually healthy and good. So we have to be aware of these things, church, and pass everything through the grid of God's word. God strictly warned the Israelites in the book of Leviticus to avoid all of this occult stuff. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, God said, I will also turn against those who commit spiritual prostitution by putting their trust in mediums or in those who consult the spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. The pagan nations around the Israelite community were steeped in all of this, these different pagan occult practices in Deuteronomy 18, verses 19, 9 through 14, he talks about avoiding divination, sorcery, witchcraft, spirit, witchcraft, spiritism. And he gave his people the authority to drive these people out of the land because it had an unhealthy demonic influence over them. The New Testament then says in 1 Timothy 4, 1, that the rise of interest in the occult is actually a sign of the end times. And in 1 Timothy 4, 1, it says, The Holy Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. The same Barna study that I mentioned a moment ago said this, Among self-identified Christians, 
Again, so this is Christians. These are believers. Among self-identified Christians, 40%, 40, almost half. Among Christians, 40% did not know enough about Wicca to have formed an opinion of it, despite it being described to them as an organized form of witchcraft. Why do we not know that this stuff is wrong? Because Satan has gradually brought different satanic influences into our media and into our world where we now lack the discernment to even recognize witchcraft when it's out there. What about movies or shows that portray witchcraft or all this kind of stuff? Use wisdom, use discernment. Austin, can I not read Harry Potter? Can I not watch Harry Potter? I don't know. Can you? Can you do it with a clear conscience? Can you read it or watch it? I don't know. I don't want to be your Holy Spirit. You take that up with the Lord. But here's a question you have to ask yourself. Does the content I read, do do the movies I watch, is it just talking about the reality of light versus darkness? Because the Bible is a book about light versus darkness. Is this movie, is this book just talking about the reality of the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness? Or is this content glorifying its practices? Does a movie or a book like Harry Potter glorify the practices of spells? Ask yourself that question. I'm not your Holy Spirit. Pray about it. Take it up with the Lord. What is so discouraging to me is that people gloss over that content without even asking the Lord, should I read this? Should I watch this? Take it up with the Lord. Again, I'm not your Holy Spirit, but ask yourself, is this content just talking about the reality of light versus darkness? Or is this content glorifying the practices, painting it in a light that glorifies it or celebrates it or encourages people to partake in it? Ask yourself before the Lord with all of that kind of stuff. There are several factors that make the occult fascinating to everyone. Now listen, for one thing, occult practices appeal to our natural curiosity. Many people who get involved in the occult begin with what they believe are harmless practices such as Ouija boards out of just simple curiosity. And it's because, listen, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. Whether you realize it or not, we are wired in such a way by God to understand that there is more out there than just the material physical realm, that there is the supernatural realm. And so we are hardwired by God to know that there's more beyond just the natural. And so because of how we're designed, we can naturally just be curious to the supernatural and the spiritual realm. And so people can begin to dive into different occult practices ignorantly just because they're curious. The unfortunate thing is that the occult is like quicksand. It's easy to get into, but it's hard to get out of. And once you are in it, it is difficult to leave. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to pull you in through your natural curiosity. And when he has you, he knows that he can use those things or those practices to keep you there because it's curious, it's alluring, it's fascinating. And so we dive deeper into it. The unfortunate thing is, easy to get into, harder to get out of. Another fascination of the occult is that it appears, now guys, this is huge. This is so big. I want you to listen to me on this. 
the reason our generation can be so easily fascinated with the occult is because it offers quick and easy answers to life questions. The astrologer gladly charts your future. Are you a zodiac? Are you... I don't even know all the things. And, and it's, it's fascinating because we think that those different things in the alignment of the stars gives way to our destiny. So that's what the astrologer does. The Ouija board and tarot cards give you direction. The psychic gets you in touch with your Aunt Debbie who says the afterlife is going just fine. And so all of these different practices offer quick, um, quick just ideas of our future and our direction because what our generation hates is waiting upon the Lord, seeking the Lord for direction, seeking the Lord for counsel because we get in the word and the Lord sometimes seems silent. And so the fascination with the occult is the occult can seemingly offer quick answers to different, different life questions. Who am I going to marry? What's my future? What's my destiny? And Satan loves to offer you quick answers to life's questions. Guys, that will only lead to your destruction and your deception. Don't fall for it. Wait on the Lord. The Bible talks about seeking the Lord, meditating on his word, filling your mind with scripture, seeking the Lord for direction. The Bible says in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you, the, you are the God of my salvation. My hope rests in you all the day long. And the fascination with the occult is our hope is in these different practices that can give us quick answers to life's questions. Because in this, in this season we're in, we have all the questions. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? Where should I go to school? All that stuff. And Satan packages... All of these answers in a pretty bow, but it's a package of deception that leads to false ideas of what our future actually looks like. Occult practices are controlled by demons who offer just enough information to keep their victims intrigued while exerting more and more control over deceived hearts and minds. This is what Paul was experiencing here. Now, as we close, I want to ask this question. How can we guard ourselves against the kingdom of darkness? How can we guard ourselves against the kingdom of darkness? And guard looks that way because we've got an acronym for tonight. The very first thing is get saved. Listen, the Bible says in Colossians 1.13 that when you trust in Jesus Christ and you put your faith in Jesus that this awesome transaction happens where you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So get saved. And the way you get saved is you repent of your sin, you trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose again. You believe in that. The Bible says, welcome to God's family. Welcome to the kingdom of light. The you in guard is use the spiritual armor of God. In Ephesians chapter six, this is what Paul says in Ephesians six, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Listen, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's saying our struggle is not against other people. 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says there's this battle going on that's in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm. You can't see it, but you're a part of it. And if you are not aware of it, you've already lost the battle. So he says this is how you guard yourself against the ways of the enemy. In verse 13, he says, put on the full armor of God. Now, these aren't physical tools. These are spiritual tools so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. He says, put on the belt of truth. The Bible says in the book of John that Satan's the father of lies. So Paul says, you want to guard yourself against the ways of the enemy? Put on the belt of truth. The belt holds the whole piece of armor together, and it's called truth. The Bible says that your word is truth. So you've got to know your Bibles. He says another spiritual tool is the breastplate of righteousness. He says your feet must be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The helmet of salvation. Helmet protects the head, protects the mind. Satan loves to attack our minds. You're not loved. You're not saved. God doesn't have a plan and purpose for your life. Satan loves to attack our minds with those discouraging thoughts. So Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. Know that you have security in the Lord. Know that you are saved and loved by God through Jesus Christ. He says, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that's the only offensive tool that you get. It's the word of God, but it's sufficient, Paul says. So use the spiritual armor of God. Go home, read Ephesians chapter 6. The A is avoid evil practices. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, Avoid, abstain, reject every kind of evil. All of these things mentioned, avoid it. You have stuff in your homes that you know are a part of the occult or just weird stuff. You're like, I don't even know what this is. Listen, get it out of the house. Acts chapter 19, we read it. All the people, when they were confronted with the reality of who Jesus was and the power of the Holy Spirit. They got together and they burned all of their magic books. Get it out of the house. Get it away. Destroy it. So I don't know what that might be. Tarot cards, Ouija boards, different crystals, different stuff, a part of the new age. Get it out of the house. It can open up the demonic. It can open yourself up to the demonic realm. Get it out of the house. So avoid evil practices, 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says. The R is resist the devil, James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So many people know that uh, second part, resist the devil and he will flee from you, but we leave out submit to God. So what does submitting to God look like? It's the D, draw near to God. That's the rest of the passage. James 4, 7, and 8 says, submit to God, resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? By submitting to God. You can't resist the devil if you are continually, habitually living in sin. So you resist the devil by submitting to God. And the rest of that verse says in James 4, 8 through 10, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he talking about? He's talking about being sorry for your sin repenting from your sin. He says in verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. How do you draw near to God? James says you confess your sin, you humble yourself. 
Unconfessed sin, living in habitual sin, can open yourself up to demonic influence in your life. So James says, if you want to guard yourself against the schemes of the enemy, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And the way you do that is by humbling yourself and confessing sin to the Lord. Don't let there be anything between you and the Lord. Keep things fresh and right. Go to him through the power of Jesus. Say, God, forgive me of my sin, all the stuff I've been keeping from you. Lord, can, I confess it to you. The Bible says in 1 John, if you confess your sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So keep things fresh between you and the Lord. You don't, you're, you don't have a relationship with God based on your own efforts. You come to him in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, but thank you, God, for seeing me as you see your perfect son. I come to you by the name, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Forgive me my sin. I don't want my unconfessed sin to be a hindrance to you, to open me up to being deceived by the enemy. So guard yourself by just getting saved. That's the first thing. Be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Use the spiritual armor mentioned in Ephesians 6. Avoid evil practices. All this stuff, that maybe, maybe you're into innocently. I would even say just check your heart when it comes to horror movies. All that stuff's real. Again, I don't want to be your Holy Spirit. But take all of the content that you consume to the Lord and just ask, Lord, does this honor you? Should this be in my life? Does this influence my mind in any way? So avoid evil practices. Resist the devil by drawing near to the Lord. Again, I hope that I, I haven't um, come across to you talking about this subject in a legalistic manner. Rather, I just want to encourage us and to caution us to be aware that you have a real enemy who hates you. And he will do all that he can, even through things that you might feel are harmless. What are those things? Again, I can't be your Holy Spirit, but you need to take some of the things that maybe you've been consuming, and me too, this is for me, as much as it is for anyone else in this room, for us to take the things that maybe we've just been consuming, take it to the Lord. Say, Lord, does this honor you? Am I opening myself up to spiritual attacks? I don't want to fall in either extreme, thinking that Satan is everywhere and that Satan is behind every bad day. That's that's unhealthy. But I also don't want to dismiss Satan and his involvement in my life. So help me to use discernment, Lord. And if there's anything in my life that dishonors you, Lord, just remove it from my life. I don't want to have, have any part with it. And so again, this isn't a, a, a word of legalism. It's just a word of caution. Take everything through the grid of God's word. Because the Bible does say that we have a real enemy. And he wants to discourage you and distract you and keep you in bondage to sin. That's his M.O., And he's a deceiver, the Bible says. He's been a deceiver from the beginning. The Bible says he's an accuser. He accuses you before the Lord. The Bible says if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you've confessed your sin, you're forgiven of your sin. But Satan holds your sin against you because he wants to keep you in that shame. And he wants to keep you in sin. And he packages things that look nice, but it actually just leads to further deception and destruction. Guard yourself against the ways of the enemy, the Bible says. You have a real enemy. He hates moral purity. He wants you to live a life of sexual immorality. He wants you to live a life that dishonors the Lord, that stays in sin. The Bible says, come to Jesus Christ. He will set you free. 
He who is free is free indeed. He wants to fill you full with his Holy Spirit. He wants you to walk with him in purity. And so that's my heart for us. Listen, the encouragement is, none of this should scare us. Because Satan is a defeated foe. We are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from a place of victory. Jesus has defeated Satan and sin and death on the cross. He has already won the battle. You are not a defeated foe. You are victorious in Jesus Christ. But Satan will attempt to keep you in that mindset that you are not free, that you've been defeated. That's what the enemy wants you to think. Listen, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. Greater is he, Jesus Christ, that is within you, the Bible says, than he that is in the world, that is Satan. So every time Satan attempts to remind you of your past, you remind him of the future you have in Jesus Christ. You have a home in heaven. You are victorious in Jesus, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. You're victorious in Christ. God has won the battle. Satan is a defeated foe. Satan knows his end is near. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there will come a day where Satan is finally judged. He's removed from the world. He's put in the lake of fire. He knows his destruction, but his MO is to take as many people with him. Don't be a part of the kingdom of darkness. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Be a part of the kingdom of light. And the Bible says to live as children of the light. Do you know him today? Are you walking in the light? That's my encouragement for us. Don't be scared, but be prepared. You have a real enemy. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, greater is he within you than he that's in the world. Let's pray. Lord, this can be a really heavy topic, talking about the kingdom of darkness. And again, I don't, I don't want anyone here just to feel discouraged, Lord. I want us to feel encouraged that you've already won the battle. But I want us to just be aware, Lord, that, that we have a real enemy. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight. Again, we don't want to fall into the two extremes where Satan's everywhere and every bad day is spiritual warfare. But we also don't want to dismiss Satan and his activity and his influence on our lives. I pray for anyone here, Lord, who might be going through legitimate spiritual warfare, that the enemy is after them, that the enemy has been discouraging them, the enemy has been oppressing them. I pray, Lord, that you would fight for them, that in Jesus' name, that you would keep the enemy far from them, far from their hearts, minds, and homes. For those who are unbelievers here, may you awaken their hearts and minds to the reality of your love and your truth, that they're blinded by the enemy, that they would get saved tonight by trusting in Jesus as their Savior and that you would transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Do that in our midst, Lord, for any unbelievers here. I pray, Lord, that you would protect us, God. They'd protect us from just different practices that maybe we've been involved in, but we've been doing them ignorantly, Lord. By your Holy Spirit, help us to use discernment the different content we've been consuming. Help us to use discernment, Lord. If we've been watching or consuming any content that doesn't please you, that glorifies and celebrates the works of darkness, may you convict us, Lord, so that we can just dismiss that and get rid of it in our lives. Help us, Lord. 
We can't do this on our own, Lord. We're nobody, God. The Bible says that you remember that we're, we're just dust, that you created us from the dust of the earth. But we're so encouraged to know that you fill us with your Holy Spirit when we place our faith in Jesus. Greater are you in us than he that's in the world. We don't need to be scared, God. But help us to be prepared to understand that we have a real enemy and help us to put on the full armor of Ephesians 6 to guard our hearts and minds, Lord, against the schemes of the enemy. Help us again to use discernment, Lord. Thank you, God, that you've already won the battle. The battle's yours. You're victorious, Lord. Just pray that you would help us to use discernment. Protect us and guard us, Lord. Protect our homes. Protect our families. If any of our families are involved in demonic activity, demonic possession, demonic influence, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to speak the truth into the lives of our family members and our friends, that they would come to know the true life and light in Jesus Christ. God, we love you. Pray for the rest of our week. Go before us. Protect us, Lord. We love you. We look to you. We seek you and your wisdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen.